You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Alicia, and this episode features Demetrius Pipkin. Demetrius is an experienced journalist who currently serves as a digital producer for CNN. He has traveled the world telling the stories of those who could not tell their own. But his love of journalism dates all the way back to his teen years in Las Vegas, Nevada. As a high school student, Demetrius entered a magnet program for law and leadership, but he discovered that he had a greater interest in communications. So with the support of faculty, he began documenting the goings-on at his school and leveraged his work to secure a part-time job at a local station. Before long, Demetrius was riding around in his own news truck. Yes, while he was still in high school. Despite already having his foot in the door, Demetrius opted to leave Vegas for Arizona State University. And after graduating with a BA in journalism and mass communication, he made his way to New York for a fellowship at CBS. Now, while this sounds prestigious, it didn't exactly set him up for his dream job at the network. At its conclusion, Demetrius ended up staying at CBS, but in the role of production secretary, which was basically a step above intern. But in less than a year, Demetrius would make a career move that put him ahead both in terms of title and money. And this is just part one of our conversation. So make sure you join us next week for part two. But until then, please enjoy. Demetrius, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I, so I, know, you've had to... a, I know you've had a lot of my friends on the show and I'm not going to pull yes. a Scott and, and say they were all, was it Scott or was Tone? Tone, he was like, all the alphas were trash. They yeah, that was stories. Tone. I'm hoping to live up to some of your other guests that have been on this show. Yes, I'm like the alphas are becoming like their own subset, like target uh, guest group here. Like it's just been so many of you guys on. But what ends up happening, right, is when we were first starting, you know, we reached out to our own networks. So DeMarcus being an alpha reached out to his, you know, frat brothers and everybody was like, no, what do I have to talk about? I'm not coming on. I'm not coming on. But then as people started to come on, you know, then it becomes a game of like, well, he he was on when y'all having me on. Um, so, so now you guys have your own little collective of, of various episodes. I would definitely say that I was probably that person that was like, nah, I'm, I'm, you know, we were talking about it earlier, but I, I was definitely ducking and dodging the show. Not because I didn't think y'all would have a good show. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were looking for the video early on in, what was that, like five years ago, six years ago that I shot for you? Was that for I the podcast? I can't remember. So it wasn't, but it was connected, right? So at the time I was doing women's workshops and, you know, all that other stuff and a lot of speaking. So it was really focused on that, but it was laying the groundwork for expanding into other forms of media, including the podcast. So even though we didn't specifically say it was for the podcast, it was all connected to the brand. Yeah. That, yeah. What year was that? I that oh know. man, that had to be at least, what is it? 2021 now. So it had to be in like 2016, 2017 when we first met. Which is crazy. Yeah. That was, it was so long ago. And so, yeah, I was, I was ducking and dodging a little bit. Um, I think, you know, mostly, you know, I'm usually you, right? Like I'm usually on your side of the table asking the questions. I'm not, used to having people ask me about myself. And I think it's a little mm-hmm. weird, but we'll see how this goes. It is, but I, I have confidence. I, you know, every alpha that we've had on, as I've said this before, they always deliver. So I'm, <laughs> I'm confident. I'm confident. You guys can talk. We know this. There's a, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure there. 
<laughs> no pressure. That's what editing is for in post-production. You know that. It'll be all right. All right. So let's jump into it. Who is Demetrius Pipkin? Who is Demetrius Pipkin? Um, I would probably describe myself best as um, kind of a wanderer. You know, um, it's funny because my mom sent me a, um, a piece of uh, decoration for my old apartment. And it was a J.R.R. Tolkien quote. And it was, it said, not all who wander are lost. And I didn't know at the time, but as soon as I got that piece of uh, decoration, I really felt like it was speaking to me. You know, that has always been who I am. That has always been who I've, you know, strived to be. Um, I'm not one thing. Um, I think that, you know, I'm a traveler. I'm a storyteller. You know, I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a fiance, you know, I, I, I have a lot of titles. Um, so narrowing down who I am, um, you know, I'll break the record for longest podcast if you have me go through all my different titles. But I think that Wanderer describes me really well. I, I kind of wander in the direction that I feel is right for me. Um, and when I feel like it's not, I wander in a different direction and kind of live my life that way and don't really look back and regret on anything that I do. You know, you just kind of have, a, have to learn from it. And I feel like I'm consistently learning. I'm consistently growing. Um, yeah, wanderer. That's, that's who I am. You know what I find interesting about that answer is when people hear that and they interpret what someone means by wanderer, they think kind of bouncing from experience to experience with regard to career, interpersonal relationships, living to and fro. You know, they they almost associate it with free spirited instability, if that makes sense. And that's yeah. not you, right? That's that's not um, me. No, that, I I would actually say that that is half of who I am. That kind of free spirit that is half of me. Yes, mm-hmm. but the other half of me really likes stability. Really likes mm-hmm. a four hundred one k. Really likes a steady job. Really likes having bills paid and not worried about you know where I'm going to lay my head at. Um, and I think that I would love to be that person that just kind of sells all my stuff and moves to some foreign island or foreign country and, you know, teaches yoga on the side or something. Not that I do yoga, but, you know, just like I I see people that do that. And I'm always really jealous of the lifestyle they live. But that being said, I can never do that because there's a part of me that does worry about the future. And there's a part of me that does want to prepare for the future and, and kind of make strides towards that future. And the two things don't go hand in hand. So it's my life is mostly about finding a balance between the two. And I think that's where I'm most happy. Mm -hmm. So this wanderer temperament that you have, do you feel like you always had, always had it? Were you like that growing up as well? Um, I don't think so. I I think that's something that's grown in me over time. I I grew up in um, North Las Vegas, which I know you've had another Vegas guest before, Anu. Um, It's my boy. uh, But you know, he he obviously grew up, he's a little bit older than me. So his his stories of Vegas are a little different than mine. I grew up in North Las Vegas where, um, I, you know, you I, I meet people all the time and they're like, oh, you're from Vegas? I've never met somebody from Vegas, right? Well, that's because we don't get out of Vegas, right? Like most of us that grow up in Vegas, um, we don't leave. That That is our community. Like before I was probably 18, I didn't leave North Las Vegas. And North Las Vegas is not big. Granted, like everybody thinks of the Strip and all. Those are different sections of Las Vegas. North Las Vegas is its own kind of like insular community. It's the, the black and brown community of Las Vegas. We, we all live in that area. And so I didn't know anything outside of that. And to this day, people were like, oh, I live in Summerlin. I live in Henderson. It's like, 
I don't know how to get there, you know, because I never as a kid would, would drive to those areas. I wasn't really allowed to go there, not because it wasn't safe or it wasn't anything, but it was just like that was outside of our community. So I had everything I needed in North Las Vegas. And that was where we stayed. And a lot of people in North Las Vegas, that's all they know. And that's all they experience. I had a benefit, though, because my family was not from Las Vegas. I didn't I was from Cal, I was born in California, but my dad was Air Force. So he traveled the world. Um, during his service time. And then my mom was at, is from England. So I had a passport at like two years old, right? So we weren't doing a lot of traveling, but I was traveling to Baltimore to see my dad's family. And then I traveled to England to see my, my mom's family. So I had seen a few things outside of North Las Vegas as a kid that a lot of the people that I was growing up with had never seen and still have never seen because there was something outside of Vegas for my family. But I think it didn't really set in for me until I got much older and, and well into my 20s, um, where I got a job where I traveled. Um, um, I did a, uh, a, a back, backpacking trip through Europe. We, we were still living in like hotels and stuff, but that really opened my eyes to traveling. And, you know, I just, there was a lot of things that started opening my eyes into the kind of the wanderlust, as they say, um, that kind of has continued to grow in me today. But I think there's something to be said to be the child of parents who have these experiences where their world wasn't limited to this one space as well. So even if they weren't, you know, actively saying to you, travel, go see the world, that was so much of your experience and also honestly just inherently in you as well. And that probably may have influenced you also. Yeah, I I think that had a part to do with it. Um, You know, if I if I were to ask my dad, you know, even though he's been all over the world for for the Air Force, you know he always looks at the travel that I do and says he wished that he could do the travel that I I did. When he was traveling, it was for work and all they did was stay on the base, right? So he never saw, he was in other countries, but he never saw those other countries because he was on an American base. And that was what, where he stayed. And that's where all the parties were. And that's the life he lived, right? My mom, she moved to America when she was in, you know, maybe 18 to 20, something like that in her low low to mid twenties. and that was that was it. Then she just lived here. So it wasn't so much that they were travelers, but having family in other places, you know, I think that was what opened doors for me that would have never been opened if I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So coming up in high school and preparing for college, was the plan for you like, yeah, I'm definitely getting out of here right away after graduation? Um, well, I think we have to step back a little bit, right? Because okay. I think... The plan was I was going to go and find my own path, right? I didn't know what that path was. Um, I remember, and, and, you know, as a journalist, you know, I got to this point uh, by this starting point in high school and middle school. And actually some, some things happened in elementary that kind of started forging my path this way. I remember I was in elementary school and you know how they'll do like a, like a black history play or they'll do different little plays for the kids. And we, you know, it's, it's simple, but you learn a little bit or something like that. And I remember um, they were looking for a host for a host of the show for the play, right? That would memorize some narration and kind of lead the play along. And I was probably a third grader, fourth grader, something like that. And most of the kids that were trying out for the play were fifth graders, right? I think I was probably a third grader. Um, and I tried out for the play and it was a Black history play and I got it. I got, I got the role. And everybody was really surprised. Oh, how, how is a third grader going to be able to manage in front of all these people 
you know, lead this play along and kind of guide the storyline as it goes. But they hadn't met me, you know, so I, I was I was very comfortable being in front of people and talking to them. Um, stage fright was never really a thing for me, but it was more so just telling the story. Right. That's what I was doing in the play. And it felt good to me. And we did a bunch of plays. It was probably like three or four performances or something like that. And I got a lot of compliments. A lot of people came up to me afterwards and said, you did a great job. And this was kind of my first exposure to being in front of people. And I remember my dad after, after the play, you know, he came up to me and said, Hey, you know, you've got something here. You've got something like most kids would be terrified to do what you just did. And you did it seamlessly, you know, and you know, me being a third grader, I'm like, yeah, dad, whatever, you know? Um, but he was like, no, I, I really see a future for you in some sort of communications, right? Maybe radio, um, news, TV, journalists, something like that. This was when I was in third grade. That's what I'm like. Your dad was having this conversation. He, he was having this conversation with me in third grade. And he's like, I see this for you. Um, but he said, you know, one, one thing that was never, you know, a secret to me was that we were black, right? So he, 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 he always made it clear that we will have, to, coming from Baltimore, you know, he, he knew what it was. Um, and one thing he always made clear to us was, you know, me and my little sister, you are black, right? So no matter what you decide you want to do, you're going to have to work two or three times harder than anybody else to achieve that. And it was something that was just kind of instilled in me from the beginning. And, and I think that I didn't really see, you know, radio or journalism or anything like that in my future. I wasn't thinking about any of that as a third grader. That was not something that third graders think about. But then moving to high school, I ended up uh, just kind of signing up for a broadcast class, just filling an elective. You know, I had finished my Spanish elective. So I was like, let me try something new. I'm good with computers. Let me, let me try this broadcast class out. And it just, I just, it worked for me. You know, I, I it really was fun. I, I was really good at it. Um, I excelled very quickly in the class. Um, and my, my teacher at the time, one of my mentors, um, Tom Rizzo, he, he, was, he was actually an English teacher who was teaching the class. So he didn't have a background in broadcast. And the program was pretty new. My school was, I went to the school, my freshman year of that school was the first year the school had been opened. And so he was trying to build a program. And so I came in in, my sec, in the second year, my sophomore year. And, um, you know, he recognized I had a talent for this. And he let me just kind of, you know, blossom in a sense. Um, he, he, he would put things in front of me and say, go. And there was no expectations that you come back with something. But he gave me the tools and put them out there for me. And, and I ran with it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember my very first story that I did on camera was uh, my baseball coach. I was, a, I was a baseball player my whole life. And my baseball coach, um, he had an accident and he fell off a ladder while he was working on his house or something like that, broke his back. And so I came to, to my teacher and I said, hey, you know, I think this would be a good news story for our show. Uh, coach Ash, you know, he, he broke his back. He's hurt. You know, I think the student, I think the student body would, should know about this and we should report on this. And he said, go do it. Bring something back to me. So I went out and I interviewed students, I interviewed teachers and came back and put it all together. And it was a terrible piece. When I look back at it now, it's such trash. But, and I, and I look so awkward too. It was just, <laughs> I had braces. I was just like nervous and looking all over the place. Like I, but that was the beginning, right? That opened the door for me. 
And it really led to that, that moment right there really projected me into this kind of career path and what eventually ended up getting me my first news job. Right. Really? It, it really did. Okay. So, so that, so that program now, a couple of years later, I've, I've been doing it for two years, three years, something like that. And, um, I'm really into it. I'm leading the program. I'm one of the hosts of the, the, the show. I'm, I'm in charge. I was one of the uh, senior producers for our monthly news magazine. I'm really leading the charge when it comes to the students. Me and another guy, we were, um, we were in charge and we had our own show. We were doing it. We were winning awards. We were getting recognized in the district. We were getting national awards. All of this happened in the span of two or three years. Our school was you know, very new. So all of this happened in the span of two or three years. So um, the school I went to, it was, okay, so in North Las Vegas, where I lived, right? We have, it's a huge school district. Um, There was two schools within a mile of my house. Mm -hmm. School was what I was zoned for. I should have been going to. There was another school a mile away. And then they built this school that I ended up going to. But the problem was, the the gang territories in North Las Vegas were at one school, the one I was zoned for. There was one gang territory around that school. The other school was the opposite gang territory, right? And then they built this school in the middle of both. So the school I ended up going to pulled Bloods and Crips into one school. And also uh, we had a lot of um, different Mexican gangs and stuff like that as well. All of them got pulled into one school. Mm which, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about gangs, but that, that doesn't bode well. Right. I, I know enough to know that. That's yeah. Yeah. That, doesn't, that doesn't work out very well. And so my school was very predominantly black and brown. So it was like 40% black, 40% Hispanic, 10% other, right? Um, there, was a, there was a big problem in the first couple of years because you had all these people from different neighborhoods coming into one school. But they also, it also had a magnet program um, that... It, it was a leadership in law program that they were pushing so that other kids from across the district, you know, mostly white kids would come to this school and kind of like even it out or whatever. So I heard about the leadership in law program and I had always had an interest in law. I had, I, I actually wanted to be like a CSI analyst. Right. So I thought I was going to go to law school. I thought that was my path. So I went to Canyon Springs, which was the school in between the two other schools. Well, we built a bit of a reputation at, at that school for, you know, just police activity, gang life, you know, violence. There was a lot happening in that school. Um, but there was also some good stuff that was happening in the school. They actually had a courtroom in the school where a lot of our teachers were lawyers, you know, um, as we took law program classes, or if you went the leadership route, you did other things, but I was on the law route. So as you took law classes, you would then go into a courtroom in your own school and, you know, argue your cases. And there was different, there was different roles, you know, um, as there are in every court case. Um, of course, you have the attorneys and, and we would have like judges and stuff come in and preside. It was actually really cool. And I, I don't know if they still do that because the, sc- the school has kind of fallen off since I left. Um, but I thought that I was going to be going that law route. Then I got into this broadcast program and really enjoyed it. And I said, nah, I'm really good at law and I'm really good at the arguing in the courtroom and I will beat everybody in here. But it's a little boring, you know, and, and you know, you, you, yeah. you've worked in law. So this is not a surprise that anybody has ever worked in law. There are some fun things. There was a lot of boring things when you work in law. And so 
but broadcast I and video production that was fun it was always fun I worked I worked long hours I came in before school sometimes I came in after school a lot of times I skipped a lot of classes to go do it and it was a running joke for my teachers I, I, I ran into an English teacher one time at a football game she was like hey it's been a while uh you gonna come back to class anytime soon I was like well you know I'm working on this I'm working on that everybody knew where I was right but nobody was saying anything because I was passing all my classes like I would show up for tests and that was it and pass the test. And I was like, all right, I'm going back to the studio. And t- the teachers hated that about me um, because there really wasn't anything you could say, but I was winning awards for the school. So the administration loved me. The principal, the assistant principal, like they would, they would come to the studio and they'd be like, Demetrius, so, show them whatever, whatever, you know? And it's like, they knew me too. Everybody knew me. I wasn't popular by any means, but everybody knew who I was. So there was a big program that they were planning at the school. Um, to involve the law, the law students, and it was going to be a, a a murder mystery kind of thing, right? They called it. Uh, actually, I don't know. If they called it or I called it this, but we called it like murder at the canyon, right? Mm-hmm. So one morning we came in, and one of our teachers had been murdered, and there was a crime scene. He was laying on the ground, blood, you know, fake blood on the ground. There was clues planted all around the school, you know, and it was up to to the the students. The, the um, you know, we, would, we had to collect the, the evidence. We had to, you know, bag it, log it, all of that. We would take that evidence and then give it to the um, forensics, uh, debate, the debate team, you know, and they would build their case. And the goal was to, you know, get a conviction. And this was supposed to be a semester long project for the school, right? Mm-hmm. It was awesome, right? But I didn't really want to participate on the legal side. Right. Like I felt like I could do it and I felt like I'd be really good at it. But it was a group project and I hate group projects. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm not one of those people. So I I hate group projects. I want nothing to do with you. You know, I felt like people are going to make a bunch of dumb mistakes that I want no parts of. So I I went to I went to some of the administration, the teachers, and I said, hey, you know, wouldn't it be cool if somebody was on campus and could document the whole process? And they were like, yeah, that would be pretty cool. I said, well. You know, we had we had the local news stations. They came out in the beginning and, you know, they filmed the first day and they were going to come back for the last day or whatever. But they couldn't be there the whole time. And I was like, it would be great if we had somebody that is actually on campus all the time that could cover this. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I would do that as long as I don't have to participate in the in the project. And mm-hmm. they were like, you know what? That's a that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And so I became the videographer for this entire project, a documentary that I, you know, I called Murder at the Canyon. And it was awesome. It was an awesome project. You know, it went over about six months, um, but I was there every step of the way. When they, when they got some new evidence, you know, we got it on camera where they're pulling surveillance footage. I was there, you know, when they, when they made an arrest, because they did, they arrested a teacher, pulled her out the classroom, you know, took statements, all of that. I was there for every part of it. And, uh, you know, at the very end, we, after the trial went on and again, in our courtroom, in the school, I was there for that. And the trial went on, there was convictions, um, there was acquittals, you know, all of that. And, uh, there was a local news station there, the NBC affiliate in, in Las Vegas. Um, and they had a crew there and I was talking to one of the producers for the, for their piece that they were doing. And I was like, Hey, I know you guys were here in the beginning. Um, and I know you're here now, but a lot of stuff happened in between those six months. And I have footage of everything. Mm-hmm. Here, let me show you 
the documentary that I produced about this. Take a look at it. It was a 10 minute documentary. And they sat down and, and granted, again, I think I was a sophomore at the time, right? They, they sat down and they were like, this is really good. This is really good. They were like, can we, can we put this on our website? And I was like, wow. yeah, I was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. And they were like, and, and your other footage, can we use, can we use that footage too? Like for our, our piece? And I was like, absolutely. They were like, and, and, and she was like, you know, we don't, I, I would hire you. After seeing this, I would hire you, but you're, you're just a high school kid. And I was like, well, you know, I got a couple of years left and then I don't know what's going to happen after high school. I don't know if I'm going to college or whatever, but you know, let's stay in touch, right? Let's stay in touch. Um, granted, I was working at Timberland at the time, right? I was selling mm-hmm. boots, boots and shoes and, or, and clothes and stuff like that. So that was my, the, my first job. I think I was making eight twenty five an hour. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I was really good at selling those shoes too, but it was just, it was just a job, you know? And uh, I think about a year later, a year later, probably into my junior year, the lady that I had met for that project, she was the senior, the producer on that piece. She reached out to me, or actually, I think I reached out to her and I was like, I need an internship for my program. I need an internship. They want us to go intern at a law firm, but I'd rather intern at a news station. What do you think about that? And they were like, well, you're, you're a little young, you know, but we'll keep you in mind. We usually only hire college interns but we'll keep you in mind. And then maybe like three months later, she called me back and she was like, hey, are you still interested in interning here? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know? And so I got an internship there. I worked there for about, I don't know, probably like uh, two months or something, whatever the internship requirement was. I only did the minimum requirement. I was not, mm-hmm. I was not one of those ab- above and beyond kind of kids when it came to projects. Um, and at the end of it, they offered me a job. So, so what kind of job? Yeah, so, right. So, so they offered me a part-time editor job, right? And it was, it was maybe 15, 20 hours, uh, you know, a, a week or something like that. Still making about the same amount of money um, because I was like, you know, bottom level. But it was at a, an actual news station. And it was a real, you know, it was a real, I wasn't just in retail like, I, you know, everybody else was doing. I was now working for the local NBC affiliate. Right. And the job sucked, you know, it was, it was long hours. I think I was working 10 hour shifts a day, you know, on the weekends. So it might've even been more than that. It might've been like 30, 30 hours that I would pull on a weekend, but it was great. 30 hours over a weekend. Over a weekend, a Fri- Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would pull in 30, 32 hours, something like that. So it was, it, there were long days just locked in my, my edit room. Um, but I was in there, you know? And so while I was there, you know, I'm networking, meeting people and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm a child. I'm a child, right? 15, 16. Uh, I was probably 16 at the time because I remember I could drive there. I was about 16. But compared to everybody else, I was a child. Right. And I remember going to the, um, he was the head of the, uh, basically the head of the photographers. And I was like, hey, you know, I know you hired me on and, and I got hired on to do editing, but I can shoot too. I'm really good at shooting. He's like, oh, okay. You know. Okay. Let's just pause right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the thing that you you said a few moments ago was like, I'm not a, an above and beyond kind of person, right? I'm not going above and beyond. But every part of the story is you finding an opportunity to broaden your horizons and expand the scope of your responsibility. So I would say you are an above and beyond kind of person, just maybe not in the traditional sense. Well, here's the thing, right? It was less about being above and beyond. And it was more about, I like to make money. 
Okay, right. got it. Right. So I know that I can make more money at the news affiliate than I can at Timberland. Right. Maybe not a lot at first, but I I've always found ways to make money. I um I can't remember whose story I was listening to on your podcast. Um, I think it was Burnett's, uh, John Burnett, where he was saying he used to sell candy at school or something. He used to sell candy to his friends or something like that. I, we had a similar, my, my boy James and I, we had a similar system at my school. I was, I was the Coke dealer selling Coca-Colas and Dr. Peppers and, and all of that. He would sell the candy. So kids would be looking for candy and then they would want sodas and they would come to me. And mm-hmm. I'd sell about 20, 25 a day, every day of the week. You got $100 by the end of the week, $125, $150 by the end of the week. You re-up on supplies and then run it back the next week, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I was always trying to find ways to make money. So yes, I really enjoyed what I was doing at, at the news station, but I also knew that I could make more money there. Okay, so you go to this guy and you say, hey, I also shoot. And, and I what, also what shoot. Came that? Well, really it was I just hated being an editor. Editing is for a certain, like certain people love editing. I'm really good at editing, but editors are a certain breed of people and they're great. And everybody, you know, we need them, but they are very insular. They sit in their little boxes and they're at the desk all day. And that's what they do. I like being out. I like being free. I want to see the world, you know? So I, I see what these photographers are doing at this station and they're going to all the, you know, all the cool things around the city. And I want to do that. So I tell them, I'm like, Hey, you know, I can shoot, you know? Now, granted, I had only shot on these little like camcorder, you know, cameras at school, but shooting is shooting. I was, I, I did photography. I did video, videography, you know, at school. I understood how to shoot, but they were using these big ENG, like on the shoulder cameras. The, the camera probably weighed about 45, 50 pounds. And then the mm-hmm. tripod probably weighed about 50 pounds and I weighed about 140 pounds. So, you know, I don't know how I thought that was going to work, but whatever. I went, I, I shot my shot. And, um, you know, he was like, well, you know, um, we do Friday night football um, every week during, you know, high school football. Um, Why don't you go out with some of the photographers for a couple of weeks, a couple of Fridays, see what they do, you know, how they film things, the angles they get, whatever. And then we'll try you out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, bet I'm there. All right, I got this. I don't even need to go out with the photographers. Like, I know how to do this. I got this. I've, I've shot football before. So I went out with them for a couple of weeks and came back. And then it was my turn. And, you know, they send me out um, with this, this, this gear. And I, I got a news truck. They gave me keys to a news truck. You're, and you're what? At 16, you 16, 17. 16, 17. They gave me, they my, gave they gave me a vehicle. Truck. Yes, they gave me a vehicle and said, here, take all this expensive equipment and go film some high school football. So now here I am. And, and so you had to go to three different games and split up over the, you know, from seven to nine or whatever, however, whatever times all the games happen. I had to hit three different games and I had to get like three highlights from each game. When you got your three highlights, you moved up to the next mm-hmm. game. I'm at these games at schools. I'm at my own school shooting high school football for the news station. Right. I'm at I'm at neighboring schools, schools in my neighborhood. I know the people at these schools. I'm telling the cheerleaders to wave to the camera. I know these cheerleaders. I grew up with them. We are in school together. And now I'm working professionally for the news station. Well, long story short, they really liked my work. Uh, My boss at the time, he saw a talent in me, I guess. And they offered me a part time job. Like, 
still 30 something hours. So part-time mm-hmm. is, you know, but at $15 an hour and I got my own news vehicle. So I would I'm just, take, I'm still stuck on like, mind blown, gives a mind teenager blown. a news vehicle? Mind blown, right? They, I had my own, I had the news three truck outside my house as a 17 year old. I had a gas card. I had thousands of dollars of equipment in my truck and they trusted a 17 year old with that. I, I can't say I would do the same, but that's what happened, you know? So it opened a lot of doors for me. It opened a lot of doors for me. I got a lot of great experience. I, I, I traveled around the city every weekend, you know, working with reporters. I was, I was filming stories with reporters every weekend. Um, we were, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of car crashes. I was doing a lot of like, you know, um, there's always news in Vegas. There's, an, an, you know, news never stops in Vegas. I remember sitting, I remember sitting outside when OJ got arrested the second time and we were all sitting outside the courthouse for hours. Every news station was there and all the news stations, they all knew me because I was the 15 year old kid carrying a camera or, you know, 17 year old kid carrying a camera. Everybody was really confused. But then, you know, once they got to know me, it it was always great. And I got to know so many people because Mm -hmm. of that. And so by the time I was a graduate, you know, I, I was graduating high school, um, looking to kind of figure out what my path was, you know, they were like, if you want to come on full time, you just let us know. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, I wasn't too keen on the idea of staying in North Las Vegas. Right. You know, I was, I was looking for an escape um, because I saw, I saw what the people around me were doing. I saw what the, what my friends were doing. I saw what the people before that were doing. And you know, not that I, I don't judge in any way. Everybody's got to live their life. Everybody's got to survive, do what they got to do. But it was just so much happening around me all the time. And at home, like I just needed to go, you know. But, you know, people always talk about how they, you go to school to get opportunities, right? And you were in a situation where you had an opportunity before you even got to college. Right. So some people would view that as there are all these things going on around me and people make these choices that don't turn out so great. But I've got this vacuum, so to speak, where I have a path, right, that's set. And I'm already I've already laid the foundation here. They know me. I'm essentially climbing this ladder already. But for you, the the pull to go somewhere else was still so great. Why do you think that is? I, I think that I had seen so many people that had, you know, had paths, right? A lot of people with um, promise that still got trapped in the lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. still, cause I would have still been hanging out with the same people. I still would have been hanging out with my, my crew or, or people I knew or people I didn't know, but somebody else knew, or, you know, all of that would have still been the same, right? I would have been going to work, coming back and hanging out with these people. And there's, like I said, nothing wrong with these people that I was, I was with, but I wanted, I wanted a little more, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, not that they didn't want more, but what they wanted was different from what I wanted, you know? And I think I just wanted to, to go and experience. And I think a big part of that was, um, again, just, just having family elsewhere and knowing that there's more to life than North Las Vegas. Got it. So where did you set your sights? Well, my parents, so, so if, you, if you grew up in Las Vegas, I don't know if they still do this, do this but at the time... If you went to school in Las Vegas and you kept a certain GPA, they would pretty much pay for you to go to school in the state, right? Mm-hmm. They called it the Millennium Scholarship. So I could have essentially went to UNLV or UNR, uh, University of Reno, um, or any of the you know community college schools f- 
for essentially free. But then I would have had to stay where I was, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want that. So I pretty much was like, I'll go anywhere else, (laughs) anywhere. You, You let me know where I'm going. But I did want to do I wanted a broadcast program there. So that narrowed it down quite a bit. So it was schools like Syracuse and Northwestern and University of Miami and University of Hawaii and Arizona State um, that had pretty decent journalism programs because I didn't really I, I didn't know what else to study. I wasn't that good at anything else besides baseball, but I wasn't going to be D1. I could I definitely could have played ball at, you know, some of the lower level colleges, but I wanted to go to a major university to also get my education. If I was going to do this, I'm going to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be an athlete and not a student, you know? Um, but the schools I was looking at, like, their baseball programs were just so competitive, so intense, and I just didn't think that I would qualify for it. Like, I was good, but I wasn't great, you know? Mm-hmm. So it came down to about three schools, um, Syracuse, University of Miami, and uh, uh, Arizona State. and I wasn't really sure which one I was going to go to. Mostly it was going to come down to which one paid the most for me to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I only had experience as like a photographer, like a videographer. And I remember, you know, one of the pivotal moments for me growing up in high school and trying to figure out my path. I remember being really excited about, you know, journalism and being a cameraman. And I remember my mom saying, I know cameraman. Like I, I, I work with cameraman. You don't want to be a cameraman. Mm. Trust me. Trust me. That is not a good profession for you to be in. Be something else. That is not the profession for you. And I remember being really hurt by that because this was something I finally felt like I was passionate about. And I felt like, you know, I was kind of getting like, a, like my parents didn't support it. My, my mom specifically, I felt like she didn't support it. You know, Do you know why she didn't feel like that was a good profession. Yeah, I mean, she saw how they worked. It's, it's a hard job. It can be a hard and and really, you know. It's, it's a really hard job and it doesn't pay a lot. You know, uh, news is one of the, journalism is one of the lowest paying professions in the country. People think it's all glitz and glam and you, you got these big anchors that make millions, but the rest of us, we don't make anything, you know? You, 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 get, a, you get a reporter job in a, a small market, you know, in Podunk, Iowa, you might make $20,000 a year, mm-hmm. might, you know? So, and she knew that. You know, she knew what these camera people were making. She knew the long hours that they worked and how hard they had to work to make nothing. Um, But it didn't matter to me. This is what I enjoyed. This is what I wanted to do. So I was really hurt by that. And I was like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you that this is something that this is something that I'm good at. And this is something that I'm going to excel in, Mm -hmm. you know? So needless to say, Syracuse wanted the arm and a leg and your firstborn for tuition. Um, because you know, Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just for the name. Um, and also, you know, I'm from the desert. So I was like, snow, cold. I, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Um, Miami, I was in the running for a full ride to Miami. And I was really wow. excited. I was really excited about that. And it, it came down, I was like in the semifinals of whatever, you know, contest this was or whatever scholarship program this was. And I didn't end up getting it. My cousin actually ended up getting it. It's funny. Uh, she, she ended up going. Um, but I didn't, get, I didn't get the scholarship. So then it really came down to Arizona State. And I had never visited the campus. I had never been there. I had been to Phoenix, but I had never been on campus. I didn't know anything about the school. But I couldn't afford anything else, you know? So I decided to go to ASU. And, uh, you know, that was, 
it was a really looking back now when I see other kids and, and, and they're trying to pick colleges and they're like visiting campuses and stuff. I didn't know anything about college. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't go to college. My mom went to college in, in England. It's different, you know? So I was in essence a first generation college kid in my household because they, right. didn't know, they didn't know anything about a FAFSA. They didn't know anything about these schools. So I had to figure it out all on my own. And yeah, they, they were there to help. But, you know, if you don't do it yourself, how do you, how do you know, you know? Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to ASU. But the one good thing was when I, when I left the, the station in Vegas that I was working at, um, they knew a lot of people from the station, the market in Phoenix. So before I even enrolled in classes, I was touring the different news stations in Phoenix to see which job I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. There, was like, there was like three different stations I went to. And people were like, yeah, you know, if you work here, this, this, and that. And I'm like, mm, it's a little far from campus. I don't think I'm, I don't think so. I won't have a car. So, you know, I got to find a way to get there. So I ended up um, getting a freelance gig at the NBC affiliate in Phoenix before I even like started school, started college, right? And it just kind of like that first job opened up so many other doors for me. It really did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to make money in high school, which is crazy to me, but then to walk into an opportunity, you know, everybody talks about the broke college student, especially when you're first generation and in one form or another, people get these work study jobs, they work at the gym, they work on campus, but you continue to to hone your skills. So when you have that experience where you've now gone from a gig in high school where you started to climb the ladder there, you get to Arizona and there these these networks, these stations are actually courting you. Yeah. But then you're still having a traditional uh, college experience, except yeah. for, did you feel like my path is already set? I don't really necessarily have to kill it academically because I've I already think had so. Before. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was still a broke college student. I was very broke. Mm-hmm. I was working. Not only was I freelancing for the, the NBC affiliate, but I was working in the dorms in the management office to get free housing. Mm-hmm. I, I had a freelance gig at um, the Office of Knowledge and Development or I don't know. Basically, I made science videos for them. You know, I did a lot of photography, still photography on the side. I was was trying to stay afloat because, you know, college is expensive. So I had to find ways to to support myself. Um, So I was very, I was still a broke college student, very, very poor. Um, but I do think what you're saying is correct. I think when I was taking these journalism classes, I was around all these kids that aspired to work for a news station or aspired to get a job at a news station. I already had it. So why am I in these classes? You know, why am I taking this class for them to teach me how to shoot and how to edit when I literally do it professionally down the street? Mm -hmm. You know, I do think that that was a mindset that I had, but I think that I learned in that time that, specifically in this this job and this in, in journalism and video production, it's all skill-based. It really is. It's not about your degrees. Mm-hmm. And if I could go back, you know, would I have spent all this money on a degree? I don't know. But going to ASU then opened up another door for me later on, right? So it wasn't so much the education I was getting, but it was just the doors that kept opening as I went. Mm-hmm. So you... Go to ASU, you're working. Let's fast forward. Mm-hmm. You hit graduation, right? Like, th- then what was the plan? So I graduated early. I, I did college in three years because I couldn't stand to do college, in a sense. I was just ready to, to... Everybody's like, oh my God, you're overachiever. I was like, no, I just hated college. Like, 
why, why keep doing homework and, and studying when I already do this for a living? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So every summer, every summer I did summer school at the, either the community college in Las Vegas, or one year I went to Georgetown and spent the summer there and did a journalism program there. And, uh, you know, I was, I was interning at, um, <laughs> I was interning for a TV station for the army actually. And so it was called soldiers radio and television and based out of, uh, Virginia. And, uh, that was my first experience away, like on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I had never really, I had a friend that went to Georgetown. So I had been to Georgetown a few times, but now I'm living in DC for, for months and months. And this program was right at the end of, um, I think, so I did the Georgetown program my sophomore year. Again, I was, I was um, graduating early. So I, when I came back to Arizona my last year, it was my junior year slash senior year. And one of the... Um, administrators, uh, he was the recruiter for ASU, like the broadcast journalism program. He came to me and he was like, Hey, there's this fellowship happening, um, on the East coast. Uh, it's at CBS. Would you be interested? And I had just spent a summer in, in DC. So I was like, yeah, I would love to go back to DC and work for CBS. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fellowship was for minorities in, in news. Um, and they would pay for the program. They'd give you a stipend. They'd pay for your housing. Um, so you would, you would walk away with like, I don't know, like $600 a week or something like that, which was pretty good since I had no money, you know, and I had no plan. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was, I was working for Arizona state's, uh, arena. I was, I was a camera person for the arena. So I would shoot football games and basketball games, volleyball, all kinds of different sports, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't paying the bills. That was just like, so I could survive. So I really had no plan and no money. So when this came up, you know, I was like, well, I don't know about moving to the East coast. Like I'm, I'm West coast through and through, you know, um, but they're paying. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So I sent in my application and I applied for, um, a spot in the DC office and the lady that interviewed me, the, uh, the intern coordinator, she called me and she was like, your resume is so impressive. Um, I see that you applied for the DC office, but you know, I, I really think that you would do well in New York. New York is a little more well-structured. There's, it's a bigger bureau. I think you would do well here. Uh, would you be willing to not go to DC and go to New York instead? Mm. And again, me having no money and no plan, I was like, sure, why not? I'll figure it out, you know? But here's what I find interesting. The cost of living in New York Well, but they were, but they, but they so, were paying for it. But they were paying for it. For everything, right? I was, I, they, they put me in a dorm. Uh, I don't know. If, I think it was a, maybe it was an NYU dorm or something. It was on the east side, um, around Midtown East. So it might've been a different school, but I was in some little dorm. There was a bunch of us. There was a bunch of interns, right? There was like, we'll say like a hundred interns and there was like six fellows. So the fellows were getting paid for and we were all like minorities. The rest of the interns were paying to be there, right? There's no way that I could have afforded to go and intern at CBS on my own. No way. My parents couldn't have afforded it. I couldn't have afforded it. There's no way I would have ended up in New York without that fellowship. That fellowship brought me to New York because it paid for housing first and foremost. And then I got a little stipend, which wasn't a lot. $600 a week sounds like it could be a lot, but in New York is not a lot of money, you know, and I had to make it. And it was a two month pro you know, two month internship. It was a summer internship or something like that. And most of the kids were going back to school, but I had already graduated. I graduated early. So I went to the internship coordinator and I was like, Hey, you know, I know everybody else is going back to school, but I don't really 
I don't, I'm not going back to school. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, is there anything open? And so we start looking and I'm just stacking the money, the money that they're giving me, I'm stacking it. Right. Cause I'm like, I might need this for something. Cause I don't know when I'm going to get my next paycheck after this program ends. So the coordinator, she came to me one day, she was like, Hey, you know, we're starting this program and it's for like young graduates like you that show a real talent, um, that we want to keep in the company. Um, it doesn't pay a lot, but it'll get you in the door. And I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, I kind of need some money. New York is expensive. Yes, um, exactly. And so I ended up taking the position. It was a year and a half program where you kind of rotate to different departments in CBS. And I think they were paying me eleven or twelve dollars an hour. So I'm making so less. less I'm making less money than I made in high school living in New York. Like, can you imagine how hard that was for me? I was like, this is stupid. Why, why am I doing this? Like, what is, this doesn't even make, nowhere in my mind does this make sense. I'm making $12 an hour to pay it's too much money, too much money to live in New so, York. Let me ask you this question. When you yeah. decided to take this paid position, mm-hmm. how many people were you living with in New York? So after, after the program ended, I, um, I left the dorm and I took that money and I, I was like, all right, I'm going to get an apartment. And now, granted, again, the program was short term. It wasn't a it wasn't a full time position or anything. I was like, I need somewhere to live. I, even if even if the program doesn't last, I still need somewhere to live. So I took that money and I reached out to a couple of friends. And one of the friends was somebody I knew from um, from Vegas, and she had she was the one that went to Georgetown. And so I I, I knew I've known her for over ten years now. The other and she was moving to New York for Teach for America. So she was in New York around the same time that I moved here. She was doing a program in Queens as they were training and stuff like that. I was in the city working at CBS, interning at CBS. Um, and then <laughs> we reached out to another friend who was living in, I think, South Carolina at the time. But we met her in that pro- a program in, at Georgetown. Super, super great person. Um, we, just, we all clicked really, really fast at Georgetown. We called her up and said, hey, um, you know, the two of us are, are moving to New York. Would you be interested in in living in New York? Like I know that's I know that's a tall ask because you already graduated and you're like working. She was like, "Give me two weeks. I'm gonna quit my job. I'll be out there." Two weeks. Two weeks. And two weeks later, you know, like I went and I, I started looking at apartments. Um, I saw one. I would send them videos and stuff like that. And I went and put the down payment down. I was like, "This is our apartment." And they hadn't seen it, you know. And we all just moved in. And it, so it was the three of us living in Harlem. And you know. Just trying to make it. That's that's all. I feel like every New York story sounds the same in the beginning. Just mm-hmm. trying to make it. So what year was this? This was 20. I moved to New York in 2011. 2011. Yeah. And you became a young homeowner. Is that right? All right. So before we get to that story, right? Because I, I need to understand how yeah, 2011. There's no way. Yeah. There's 12,000 an hour. Yeah. What year did I'm a homeowner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. understand how we got there, but you, you, you leave. You okay. I, I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Um, so yeah, that, that was, it was actually, it was very, it was a very random journey, but so I did my program at, I worked at CBS for about, I did the internship and then I did the program that they were, you know, they hired me for. So I spent about a year and a half at CBS and I, I worked in a couple of different departments. And at the end of one of my rotations, um, my boss, uh, so, so actually, no, let me rewind real quick at the first rotation where I did my internship was on the national desk at CBS. So, so 
essentially is like the hub of American news. Everything that happens in America goes through the national desk. Anything that happens outside of America goes through the foreign desk. So I worked at the national desk. It was a very different job from what I was used to being out in the field, right? Like I was sitting at a desk for 10, 10 hours a day, just reading news and, and disseminating it to the people that needed to know, calling people, calling hospitals if something was happening, calling police. Like I was, I, we were the information hub, right? Mm -hmm. Very different from what I had ever done. I didn't like it, but it was, I met everybody. I'm, I'm, you know, I got executives calling me. Oh, hey, Demetrius, can you patch me through to whatever, whatever? Oh, hey, Demetrius, what's the deal with this, this, and that? Like, I knew everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a, it wasn't the job for me, but it did propel me to meet and know a lot of people within CBS. And so my boss at the time, he knew I had aspirations to go out in the field and do different things. So he would say, "Hey, you should go meet this person. You should go meet that person." One of those people I had reached out to, I emailed her and I'm like, "Hey, my boss said I should meet you." you know, do you have time? And she was like, yeah, let's meet. And then like seven months goes by. I don't hear anything, right? Just radio silence. So during that seven months, I had rotated to a new department and I had a new boss, right? And she was great. She, she was awesome. Um, this was at 48 hours at CBS. So mm -hmm. my boss, um, Susan Zarensky, she was great. She, she saw something in me, or I think because I had developed some new news techniques for the, for, for the national desk. And then I brought it to 48 hours. She was like, Oh, this kid is doing some stuff. He's, he's bringing us up to date. Cause CBS is very old. It's old mm -hmm. and white, you know, and I, nobody's going to dispute that to, you know, like it, there's been some changes recently, but it has always been historically old and white. The people that watch the show are old and white. That's just what it is. And I came in this young black kid, like, Hey, let's do some things differently. Let's, let's use technology differently, you know? And she loved it. And so even though you know, I was just a news associate. Um, she, she got to know me. And, and to be fair, she does kind of take a motherly role for pretty much everybody. But I felt a connection. I felt like she really wanted me to succeed. So at, at the end of my program, she came to me and she was like, hey, I don't really want you to rotate to the next department. Why don't you stay here and work here 48 hours? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I, it, it depends on what the position is. And she was like, well, it would be for production secretary, which is literally a step above intern. Mm. And I was like, but Z, you know, you know, I have all this experience, you know, I can do so much. She was like, I know, but I don't have anything for you, but I do want you to take this role so you can stay here and you'll get benefits. The pay will be like a dollar more. It was like 13, 25 an hour or something like that. I'm like here I am still making no money. Right. She was like, please just, just take the role. Like, okay. But listen, I have, I have a clarifying question, though, because yep. it's one thing to tell someone, you know, take this role just so you can stay here. But I have this other thing brewing that could open up soon. It's another thing to say, take this role because I don't have anything else. And I, don't, I can't tell you if and when anything else would pop up. So what category was she placing this opportunity in? I don't know what, what category she was placing it in, but I told her straight up. I said, if I take this role, just know that I will be looking for something at a higher pay and a higher position because I am overqualified for this role. And she said, fair, just take the role. And I said, okay, well, now I got benefits. You know, now I got a 401k. Now I'm in, I, I work for CBS. Before I was just play, play working for them. Now I work for them. Well, I, I worked for them for about six months and uh, I get an email from that other boss that I had emailed that didn't talk to me for about nine months or seven months. She finally gets back to me and she says, hey, Sorry for not getting back to you. I had a baby. So, you know, I've been busy. 
And I was like, ah, that's fair. She was like, would you mind, you know, stopping by next week? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I just, I mean, I just signed on staff for 48 hours, but whatever, let's see what you're talking about. So I go over there and I thought it was just like a meet and greet, right? Like I thought it was just chill. And I show up and they got, it's, it's two managers. They got my resume pulled up. They got my website pulled up and they were like, all right, let's do this. And I was like, oh, I was not prepared for this by any means. And they were, so they start asking me about my experience and that's fine. I can talk about my experience all day. And then they were like, oh, you know, this, so, so the job, there wasn't a job. It was just like meeting them, but they worked for a company called Channel One News. Mm-hmm. So I had never heard of Channel One News. Apparently a lot of people know it, but I had never heard of it. And so when they, at the end of the interview, they asked me like, oh, do you have any questions for us? And my dumb self was like, oh, you know, so tell me about your show. Does it air like once a month or whatever? Like I'm thinking, you know, like it's just like a, I don't know. I don't even know what I thought it was. And they were like, no, we have a daily show every day. And I was like, well, I just blew this job interview. So I left that, I left that interview and I was like, I probably should have done some reading about this company. I probably should have looked up. I just didn't think it was an interview. I thought it was a meet and greet so she could tell me what they do. It sounded like a coffee clutch kind of situation. That's the way she framed it. That's what I thought it was, but that's not what it was. And so I was very ill prepared for it. And so they were like, well, we'll let you know. We don't have anything available right now. And I'm sitting here thinking like, nah, I'm not hearing from them anymore. (laughs) Probably three weeks later, they called me back and said, hey, because what they were offering originally was like a low-level position, like pretty much what I was doing. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to leave this job to go to do low level stuff there. It's just not happening. They called me about three weeks later and they were, they were like, hey, we got a producer position open. We need to fill. And I was like, OK, so what does that mean? And they were like, well, you know, you will shoot stories. You'll travel internationally, nationally. You'll be a part of our show. Um, you know, you'll get benefits. Yeah. Like, are, are you interested? I was like, you had me a travel. Like, what, what, what are we, what are we talking about here? Like, so I think, I think they signed me at like $62,000. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I tell people all the time, like, this is, this is where, when you talk about like white privilege and, and just like having a leg up in the world matters. Right. Mm-hmm. $62,000 to me coming from North Las Vegas is a lot of money. Right. Right. I don't think, I'm not even sure my parents ever, you know, like, Nobody around me was making $62,000. Granted, you know, it doesn't cost the same to live in North Las Vegas, but the point is $62,000 was unheard of money to me. Mm -hmm. Whereas people growing up in New York and their parents are bankers and lawyers and stuff like that, they would have scoffed at $62,000. I'm like, excuse me? No, I am worth more than that. But to me, I was like, absolutely. So I told my boss at 48 Hours, I'm like, hey, Channel One reached out to me. They want to hire me. They're going to let me travel. They're going to let me shoot. They're going to let me produce which producer was like five steps above where I was going to be, you know, where my current job was. And she was like, you should take it. Mm. You should absolutely take it. And I was like, I appreciate that from you, boss. Like most people would be angry that I just signed on six months ago and now I'm leaving. And I appreciate the fact that you support it. But I also told you at the very beginning, this is what I was going to do. Right. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER. 